0: G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane. I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. So what do we have there in Deuteronomy chapter 5? Five... We've got the Ten Commandments, don't we? I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's number one. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth, beneath, or in the waters below. Skip down to verse 11. Thirdly, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless Who misuses his name? Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Honour your father and mother. I'm down at verse 16 now. As the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you, Giving you. you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife. And on it goes, house or land, his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud and the deep darkness, and he added nothing more. And then he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me, that is to Moses in context there. Uh, Welcome back to a series that we began last year in Deuteronomy. I think it was back in June. We finished off, uh, we left off in chapter four of Deuteronomy just before, um, indeed, with some of the words that Marion read to us a few moments ago. And this week we're going to recommence our Deuteronomy series or this week and for the next four weeks or so, uh, focusing on the Ten Commandments and the the chapters kind of following it. So from chapter 5 through to about chapter 11 and rounding off Moses' speech there. These ten words that I don't think it's an exaggeration to to say have shaped our world, have etched their mark, haven't they, into countless cultures and, and many of the major religions of our world have etched their marks into the consciences of many people, many of us, and left their mark there in our memories. Uh, but could we begin here? Because I have a question for us to chew on just before we pray and before we come to Deuteronomy chapter 5. It's this. Do long lists of laws make for lives of love? Do long lists of laws Make for lives of love. That's the thought that I'd like us to ponder as we begin this sermon series on the Ten Commandments. Um, As people here today, of course, we claim to follow the Lord of love. We claim to follow the Lord of life. Uh, We claim to walk already in something of the fullness of life that he's given us, granted us in Christ. Uh, so does the Old Testament law, and especially the Ten Commandments, does it add to that? Does it sponsor that? Does it support that? Does it support us in the pursuit of that life that God is calling us to? Because it seems to me, brothers and sisters, that in our culture today, uh, we're likely to meet this kind of reaction. Um, and perhaps this was your answer to the question, to uh, do long lists of laws make for lives of love? No, they don't. Have you heard people Say something like that. Have you wondered something like that? No, they don't. Long lists of laws, you know, these unbending commands, these inflexible thou shalt not, uh, on the contrary, they are the ingredients, not for a full and um, flourishing life, not for a rounded and generous uh, life, not for a life of love and wonder and fun in the real world. No, long lists of laws... Are they not the stuff of narrow minds, of loveless, small lives, people living in their own sticklery kind of worlds with their miserly shrinking hearts? The types of people who obsess, don't they? And they, they, they take some smug glee when we're tripped up on a technicality in life, who suck the joy out of the lives of those around them instead of breathing life into them. Do long lists of laws make for lives of love? Uh, And whether or not that's your response, brothers and sisters, haven't we come across that? Haven't you heard that from time to time? Perhaps from our friends or from the vocal critics of Christianity? And that's why I wanted us to start with a reading from Jesus, which Marion read to us just a few moments ago, because Jesus, well, he knew a thing or two about a full life. Jesus knew a thing or two about a loving life, a life of generosity and fullness and and breathing life into the people around him. And when he had the opportunity, on one occasion at least, to distance himself, to part ways with the Old Testament's long list of laws, here was his chance. Matthew 22, I'll just read a couple of those verses again. An expert in the law tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Here's his opportunity, here's his chance, right? He could say, you don't need the law to tell you how to live a life of love, you don't need that old thing. The greatest commandment is quit worrying about commandments, quit worrying about laws, just get on with being a good human being, won't you? He could have said that, but he didn't. Instead, he quotes from actually Deuteronomy chapter 6, the very next chapter, which we'll um, touch on a couple of times over the coming weeks. He quotes Deuteronomy 6 from the very midst of all of these rules. And he says this, So teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, verse 37 of Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. How about we pray as we come to God's word to us in Deuteronomy? Our Father in heaven, we ask for your help this morning to learn a little more fully how to relate to these ancient laws in the way that Jesus would have us and in the way that will lead us into this life that you call us to, a life so encompassed by love, so infused with love from beginning to end. God, may we discern the life that you are calling us to today. Yes, even as we read and meditate on your call on the lives of the people so far removed from us in history. Father, we receive all of your scripture as your word to us today in the power of your spirit. So teach us, would you please, O God, to live as followers of Christ. Humble us, O God, to live as servants of Christ. Reform us, O God, to live as the new people that you would have us be, indeed, that you have made us to be in Christ, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So this morning, what we're going to do, we're only going to attempt the first two commandments. The first two commandments, next week we'll tackle three and four, and then the following week, five to seven, and then eight to ten. That's how I'm going to break it up. So for today, just commandments one and two. Could we take a look at those in the text together from Deuteronomy chapter five? So this is the Lord speaking. Uh, And here's number one. You shall have no other gods before me. Number two, verse eight. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations for those who love me and keep my commandments. And perhaps you've heard um, certain vocal critics of Christianity portray those particular words as almost like the jilted ravings of an insecure lover. Have you heard folks say that kind of thing? Uh, A God who cannot handle the thought that his people may not freely choose to love him. And so he threatens them and he hems them in with commands like this and he shrinks their world and he suffocates them, Uh, that kind of line. But brothers and sisters this morning... I hope to show us that as we see these commandments in context here in Deuteronomy, in the context of what God has been doing with his people uh, through the story that Deuteronomy relates, and yes, even in these commands, I hope to show us, brothers and sisters, that these commandments, especially Numbers 1 and 2, are exactly the opposite of that. They are totally the opposite of those sorts of ravings, hemming people in. In fact, if we have the eyes to see it, these first two commandments, they call us to live in a world that is both bigger and more wonderful, more expansive and free than we could possibly enjoy apart from the Lord. Um, And let me share that realisation or that perspective with you just in three parts from the text. The first is this. The Lord has set you free. Let's take a look together at the, uh, the text of Deuteronomy. We'll just read the preamble, you see, what comes just before the commandments. Where do these commandments actually fit into the story? Uh, do you know all 10 commandments? Have you got them memorized? Because if you're like me and you've, you've locked them away in your mind and you kind of remember all 10, you probably learned the commandments as a list. Did you do that? And if you learn them as a list, you probably learn them separate from the context that they're in here in Deuteronomy, here that they're given to us. Uh, And so you might remember them just as a list. Okay, no other gods, uh, no idols, um, no blasphemy, keep the Sabbath, honour your mother and father, no murder, um, no adultery, no stealing, um, I'm I'm losing it, no uh, lying, no coveting, they're ten. But no, the Ten Commandments... They were, they were never God's moral shopping list. And I think we stand to see them as something so much more. They were never God's moral shopping list to a people otherwise minding their own business. Take a look with me, would you please? We are reading today words that are guiding the lives of men and women, indeed boys and girls, who have been set free from literal slavery in the ancient world. By the Lord God himself and God seeks their life he has shown that to them and God means for them to live a full and flourishing life um, in freedom and with him a real and flourishing life in the real world God wants them to enjoy that with him come and live in the free world come and live with me God is saying so from the very end of chapter 4 there Uh, Marian read some of these words. This is the law Moses set before the Israelites, chapter 4, verse 44. This is the law Moses set before the Israelites. These are the stipulations and decrees and laws Moses gave them when they came out of Egypt, do you see? And were in the valley near Beth Peor, east of the Jordan, in the land of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon and was defeated by Moses and the Israelites. As they came out of Egypt... A little further down, Deuteronomy 5, verse 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. What does it say? Out of the land of slavery. And then the commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or the waters below. Um, Could it be, brothers and sisters, that a life spent... Honouring as God anything less than God, that that is the life of slavery. Honouring as God anything less than God, and that, that could be Pharaoh in Egypt, it could be their slave masters in Egypt, it could be any of the mute and dumb idols that they had seen in Egypt, perhaps even served under some of them. Could it be that a life spent honouring as God anything less than God, that is a life of slavery, that that is a life spent living in a fiction, living in a make-believe world, living hemmed in, is, the life, is that the life that is tragically living in a world smaller and darker than the real world? And God is saying here, come and live with me in the real world where I've set you free. I am the only God that there is. And I've set you free to live with me. I am the Lord your God, verse six, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me." First bit of perspective, the Lord has set you free. That's the context in which to understand these commandments. Secondly, though, he is the Lord today. Now well, you might say, you might say, He may have brought them out of Egypt way back then Uh, God may indeed have brought them back then out of Egypt but their world back then is not my world today so it's a bit hard for me to receive the 10 commandments in that kind of a light and did you realize here in Deuteronomy Moses had to grapple with exactly that same issue did you did you spot that in the reading that Marion read for us a few minutes ago because here in Deuteronomy This is not true of Exodus chapter 20 where you also find the the Ten Commandments at Sinai um, or Horeb as it's also called. But here in Deuteronomy, Moses isn't speaking to men and women who were there back then. Do you realise that? Um, The entire generation of their parents had died out in the wilderness because of their disobedience. And so what we have here is the children of them Uh, And he speaks to an entirely new bunch here and now who may very well have the same question. Well, you saved them back then, but what has that to do with me today? And Moses answers that question that he is still the Lord today. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1. Take a look there with me. So Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. You'll see it throughout Deuteronomy, Horeb is the name for Sinai. It's the same place. God, our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our fathers that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and didn't go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery and on go the Ten Commandments. Just keep that in front of you, would you please? And have a look at verse three. Could we just scroll back to verse three? Hands there. Thank you. Uh, Number three, if it's there on your lap. Um, From one point of view, Moses' words there in verse 3 are patently false, aren't they? These words there in verse 3, if you have a look at them, because it was their fathers with whom God made a covenant. They weren't even alive. Well, they were probably young kids this present generation at the time. It was their fathers with whom God had spoken face to face. What do you mean it's with us and it's for us and he brought us out? But friends, I think that is exactly Moses' point. Moses simply means this, doesn't he? As each generation slips away and as each new generation now stands before the Lord, as each new generation hears the decrees and laws of the Lord, hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today, then you are the generation called to live today before the God who calls you in his word this very day. Do you see? It's got this immediacy. No, 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 don't worry about back then. I'm talking to you now. Don't worry about your fathers. It wasn't with your fathers. It was you today. He is your Lord today. His promises didn't die off with your parents. His covenant wasn't just for your parents' generation, but not so much for you. He is your Lord today. And the people of Deuteronomy needed to hear that. So as he says over in chapter 7, indeed it's a recurring theme, we're going to see it over the coming weeks, in Deuteronomy 7 and verse 7, if you read along with me there, uh, it tells us, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people's. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. A thousand generations. How many generations do you suppose it is back to Moses? I don't know. I don't have a fa- No one has a family tree that goes back that far. Let's just figure it out roughly. Three and a half thousand years. So 2,000 years back to Jesus. Round about one and a half thousand back to Moses. Round about maybe 1,300. But let's go with three and a half thousand years. So what's that? Probably a hundred generations. If we give it 30 something years per generation, around about 100, we've only made it to 100. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. God's promises didn't die out with your parents' generation, God's covenant wasn't exhausted by your grandparents' generation. The Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God. But lastly, the last realisation to help us to live a full life of love in the real world under the Lord, the one Lord, is that he is the Lord that we have left for so much less. He is the Lord that we have left for so much less. Yes, he has been faithful, the one God, the only God, the true God, our God to this very day. But when old man Moses, when he read those words out to that young generation at the end of their wilderness wandering, standing on the edge of the promised land, but not yet entering it, as he read those first two commandments, you shall have no other gods before me and you shall not make any idols. What was the memory that lay heavily on their hearts and minds, do you suppose? I suspect they remembered a day from their childhood. Deuteronomy 5, verse 8. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. What do you suppose was going through the minds, the memories of those who had trudged through the wilderness, watched their parents' generation slip away and die outside the promised land? I suspect that they recalled the day at the very edge of living memory, when dad and mum left the Lord for so much less. So in Deuteronomy 9, Moses is keen to impress upon them. Deuteronomy 9 verse 7, remember this and never forget how you provoke the Lord your God to anger in the desert. From the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you have been rebellious against the Lord. At Horeb, you aroused the Lord's wrath so that he was angry enough to destroy you. When I went up the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord had made with you, I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Skip down to verse 11. At the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me the two stone tablets, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord told me, go down from here at once because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have turned away quickly from what I commanded them and have made a cast idol for themselves. Down at verse 15. So I turned, Moses says, turned and went down from the mountain while it was ablaze with fire and the two tablets of the covenant were in my hands. When I looked, I saw that you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made for yourselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you, so I took the two tablets and threw them out of my hands, breaking them to pieces before your eyes. And there it was, a God that they had cast. They had left the Lord for so much less. A God that they could see, a God that they could touch, a God that they could worship, a God that they could control, a God that they could shape into the kind of God that they wanted him to be, a make-believe God. They preferred a God of make-believe to the God of the real world. And before we look down our noses too much at them, Gordon McConville, um, he's an expert on Deuteronomy and on these verses, he makes this very insightful point about idolatry. I think it's worth us hearing uh, because he says we're not above it. Us in the modern world, we're not above it. Casting a God to suit our own desires. No, in the modern world, yes, without statues and calves and totems and all the rest, but we just pretend God doesn't exist in other ways, the real God. We make him into other forms. We leave him for so much less, specifically, by just getting on with life as if he doesn't exist, living and planning, talking, uh, voting, making life decisions as if he doesn't exist. Here's McConville, he says, modern idolatry is more likely to take the form of a separation between God and the empirical world when it comes to ethical and political decision-making than to carved images from wood or stone. The exclusion of God includes the privatising of religion and the practical belief in the autonomy of natural and physical laws. His, God's displacement from science, art and public life may be a modern form of having other gods in his presence or indeed of taking his name in vain. Um, To close, can we just come to to Romans chapter 8 together? Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 8 if you're following along um, in your Bible, please? Um, For you and I, brothers and sisters, we, we stand, of course, not as citizens of ancient Israel on the cusp of the promised land all those years ago, under the law of Moses, we live not as a people still in the wilderness, we tremble not under the threat of a judgment whose repercussions are to be felt for generations. But would you please hear these words, these words from the Lord who has set us free, us free. To live in the real world. The Lord who is still our Lord today. The Lord who we may have left countless times, but he has not left us in his faithfulness and his covenant love. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. We read this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus... The law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Could a list of laws alone, a list of laws cut off from the story of God's love, could a list of laws alone lead to a full and fruitful life? Friends, there is no such list. No law alone holds that power. God's word here, though, in Romans, offers you life today. And if you have been living in a make-believe world, I suppose, where the gods of your own making, the gods of this world, the things that you can see and touch and live for and strive for and make your decisions around, the things that you can summon to suit your own desires and then send them away again. If you've been living a life where God, the real God, is but one among many vying for your attention in life. As your heart wanders, then you need to know this. It is you who lives in the world of the make-believe. It is you who can never find the fullness of life that's offered to you here for only in Christ is the one saving, loving, forgiving God to be found, but he is to be found in Christ. So brothers and sisters, let us live in the real world the world where Christ alone lived the law, the world where Christ died our death before the Lord, the world where Christ's spirit leads us now, not back to a list of laws, but on to a life that knows the love of the real God who loved us first and which then leads others to do the very same. Can we pray together? Our Father God in heaven, we confess before you now that beside the Lord Jesus, our dedication, our focus, our adoration and praise, it seems so paltry and polluted and partial. O God, we confess that as our hearts are prone to wander just like the peoples of Israel, We see in the law not only their failure, but we see our own failure as well. Great God in heaven, thank you for sending the Lord Jesus Christ, whose perfect obedience not only showed us a life of fullness and realness, but has given us new grounds to start again by your spirit that we might walk in ways that please you. Father, help us this day, we pray, to purge the temples of our hearts, of every rival to your honour and glory, God, if that's our possessions or power in life, if that's our respect or our rapport with others, if that's our pleasures or our privileges that we cling to more than we cling to anything else, God, help us to live in the real world where you are not not only the only God, but you are our saviour, you are our covenant God, who has promised himself to us forever and is at work in us. Shape our lives in the power of your spirit, we ask, that you might be our one God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.